Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknet. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Hello, Beastlayers. Welcome to another episode of The Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknet author of The Migraine Miracle and the recently released Keto for Migraine. And speaking of Keto for Migraine, as of this recording, the Kindle uh, version is currently on sale for $4.99. And uh, thanks to all of you who have already supported it uh, and made it an Amazon bestseller. And also a huge thanks to those of you who have taken time to leave a review. I really appreciate it. All right, today I'm bringing you a short episode about three key mindset shifts related to food that I think are really helpful not only in helping you to be successful with the plan, but in developing healthier eating habits in general, uh, ones that are kind of more in line with what we need as humans. And these are all mindset shifts that I went through and that I think have been enormously useful to me in retrospect. Um, we are currently in the midst of a food and cooking challenge this month with our Migrant Everland members, uh, which is what sparked the idea for this particular episode. As I've talked about before, there are many different limiting beliefs and myths that are related to not just migraine, but to health in general, that can stand in the way of success. And that certainly applies to how we think about food and crucial to being successful is ditching those limiting notions and replacing them with ones that are empowering and that will set you up for success. Also, if you are interested in jumping into our latest uh, food and cooking challenge or interested in learning more about Migrant Neverland, you can uh, do so by visiting the website, mymigrantmiracle.com, and just clicking on the resources tab at the top. And also remember, as a thank you for being a podcast listener, if you do uh, register, you can get $30 off your first six months in Migrant Everland if you use the discount code MOMENT. That's M-O-M-E-N-T when you check out. Okay, let's get to it. So three key mindset shifts around food. As I said, these are mindset shifts about food that I, both I and Jenny have been through, as well as uh, many of our most successful Migrant Neverland members. So the first one has been to lose the idea that there is such a thing as breakfast, lunch, and dinner foods. In other words, that there are specific foods that you should eat at specific meals or at specific times of day. And this is especially true when it comes to breakfast. So in Western society, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, but probably have a lot to do with advertising and the cereal industry, we one day decided that it was okay to eat dessert for breakfast. So things like breads, waffles, muffins, croissants, donuts, cereal, and fruit juices. So in other words, breakfast became the time where you were supposed to down this big plate of refined carbohydrates. And to this day, you can still go to any continental breakfast at pretty much every hotel, and you'll see this on full display. Hopefully now you can recognize how backwards of an idea this is, that we should not only eat this stuff in general, but as our first meal of the day, and moreover, the main thing we eat during that meal. But if you've been conditioned to thinking that that's what breakfast is supposed to look like or include, 
and if that's how you've been eating and your body has spent years expecting that you're going to start the day with this big hit of sugar, then you'll likely crave those foods at first when you're transitioning to the plan. And it's natural for you to then try to look for substitutes that are okay uh, or within the guidelines that will satisfy those cravings. But going with this first key mindset, the important thing to remember here is that this craving for this kind of hit of sugar or carbs in the morning is not a natural pattern. So those cravings are a result of conditioning rather than any intrinsic biological need for them. But because those foods are so pervasive and so synonymous with breakfast, it's natural and even easy, again, to think that this is what breakfast is supposed to look like. But it'll make the transition to the Migraine Miracle Plan and you know, going back to foods that are appropriate for a human, it'll make that so much easier if you start by just losing the idea that you need different foods at different times of day, um, especially in the mornings. And as so many others have discovered, those cravings will dissipate in short order. Again, I was in this boat too for a while. Um, initially, when I changed my diet, I still kind of had in my head, you know, breakfast meant different sets of foods and trying to think how I could replace the sorts of things that I was used to eating for breakfast for something that was, you know, more in line with the plan, something that was more part of an ancestral diet. And this is where you get into people trying to make all sorts of baked goods with substitute flours to kind of make things that resemble the array of dessert foods we're used to for breakfast. And that's why breakfast is oftentimes the biggest hurdle when people are transitioning. And that's because the standard breakfast of refined carbohydrates doesn't include any food uh, fit for humans. But again, there's nothing in our biology that mandates that we eat anything different for our first meal of our day from any other meal of the day. And this was so liberating when I finally realized this and I, and I got this out of my head, which was several years after transitioning to the plan. And so nowadays, the time of day is essentially irrelevant to what I'm eating. And it seems really strange and silly now in retrospect to think that I once, you know, thought that I needed different stuff at different time of day. And I think this is true of a lot of things uh, that we think to be normal or kind of part of human biology or are instead a product of conditioning or just us being used to doing certain things for a long period of time. All right, so that's the first one. The second key mindset shift has been to stop eating by the clock. So several years ago, I was having a conversation with a patient in my office. Um, he was morbidly obese, probably you know 350 or more pounds, and was desperate to lose weight. He'd recently started working with a nutritionist, but was frustrated. He said, you know, I've been doing all the right things, doc, but I've actually gained 10 pounds this month. And then he went on to say, I try my best to eat six meals a day like she told me to, but sometimes I'm just not hungry at all. And I can still remember how frustrated and heartbroken I was uh, talking to him. And I can re remember wanting to beat my head against the wall because his story was such a powerful illustration of how far we'd gone off the rails when it came to conventional advice around diet and nutrition. Here was this man who really committed himself to losing weight and whose life really depended on him doing so. And yet not only had he been given this absurd advice to eat more frequently um, to the point where he was trying to force himself to do so, but he felt like it was his fault that he wasn't losing weight because he wasn't able to eat as often as he'd been told to. 
And even worse, he'd been told to replace the sodas he was used to treat drinking with fruit juices, which he'd also been complying with. And again, this get, gets back to the idea that we need to eat by the clock. One of the most wonderful things about returning to an ancestral diet of eating the foods that are fit for humans uh, the ones that your body expects and has adapted to over millions of years of human evolution, is that it restores your hunger and satiety cues. One of the many problems with so many of the foods that are eaten today is that they hijack the parts of our brain that generates our feelings of hunger or satiety. And those feelings are there so that we know when to eat and when we know when to stop eating. We're not supposed to have to override those feelings to keep ourselves healthy. But the only reason we do is because those feelings evolved in response to the set of foods in our natural habitat. So when we stick to those foods, when we stick to ones that are evolutionarily appropriate, ones that are found in our natural habitat, the hunger and satiety cues, once again, can be trusted as accurate markers of when to eat and when to not eat for optimum health. And the only reason so many people today find themselves in a situation where they don't trust those hunger and satiety cues that are being generated by their own brain is because we now have access to so many foods that not only weren't part of our ancestral environment, but that have been explicitly designed to hijack our food reward centers. Every animal on the planet eats when he or she is hungry and stops when he or she is full. And just by doing that, they will be able to maintain body fat within a narrow range, one that's appropriate for their species. And again, that's provided you're eating foods that are appropriate for your species. And so when you return to eating evolutionarily appropriate foods, you can once again rely on the millions of years of evolved wisdom that are embedded into your brain's food reward circuitry and once again trust hunger and satiety cues. And that means no longer eating by the clock. Again, just like the ideas of specific foods for breakfast, lunch, and dinner are a product of conditioning, so is this idea of set mealtimes and the idea that we need three meals a day. Or, in the case of my poor patient getting terrible nutritional advice, six meals a day. So instead of eating by the clock, you simply eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, just as it's supposed to be. And over time, most people who transition to the plan and stop eating by the clock and instead start following hunger and satiety cues instead, we'll tend to move to two meals a day, um, as you've heard from several of our people in our success stories. That's become uh, my pattern as well. And uh, this isn't too surprising, as um, studies on indigenous hunter-gatherer populations uh, indicate that this is common, that they often eat one large meal a day and then maybe one smaller one. I can still remember years ago after transitioning to eating this way and not being hungry at my usual lunchtime and, and not eating, people around me being alarmed that I hadn't eaten as if I'd skipped lunch and didn't have anything to eat by like two o'clock, something terrible was going to happen. And it really is quite incredible to see how locked in a lot of people are to thinking that three meals a day is a necessity as if you, you know, skip lunch, something terrible is going to happen. So the three meals a day convention, just like the idea that breakfast involves a different set of foods is a cultural invention and a fairly recent one at that, probably starting in the Industrial Revolution with our transition to, quote, nine to five work outside of our homes. Or in the words of one study on this topic, that the idea of separate mealtimes, quote, 
evolved more for sociocultural reasons than physiological imperatives. In other words, this three meals a day thing is not our natural pattern. And then the third key mindset shift about food has been to see it as nourishing and protective. Obviously, food is essential for life. It delivers energy, protein for body structure and function, and nutrients that are critical for life. But a lot of migraineurs have been conditioned to be somewhat fearful of food, to be on the lookout for their triggers. And that's another reason I think it's so important, as discussed in the last episode, to move away from this idea of food as triggers and to move away from thinking that avoiding triggers is a key uh, lifestyle component of migraine management. Not only has this focus on environmental triggers distracted us from the underlying root causes, as I discussed in the last episode, but it can also lead to an unhealthy relationship towards food. One that creates this negative framing around food, where our objective is to find the foods that harm us. But as I've talked about before, the much healthier and more productive view of things is to think of our objective as being to identify the foods that nourish and protect us. The foods that restore metabolic and gut health, that allow us to thrive, and that impact us in a multitude of ways, all the way down to which genes are turned off and on to afford us protection against the beast. And we're fortunate to have access to so many foods that fit that bill. Okay, so those are the three key mindset shifts that have been super helpful for me, uh, super helpful for a lot of the people that we've worked with. And to recap, the first one being to lose the idea that there's such a thing as breakfast, lunch, and dinner foods, or that there need to be different foods for different times of day. The second key mindset shift being that you don't need to eat by the clock and that you don't have to adhere to a three meals a day schedule, as that is a cultural convention and not a biological need. And the third to shifting from looking for the foods that harm you as a migraineur or to looking for triggers and instead looking for all the foods that are nourishing and protective. All right, that's all for this podcast. I will be back next time with another inspiring Migraine Miracle success story. Thanks so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, it'd be great if you left a rating and review in iTunes. It really does help. All right, now it's time to go out and slay the beast. Thank you.